Hello and welcome to God vs. God, everyone. Welcome, Matt. This is Thank you. This is episode V I I I mm. Roman quadruple digits, as you like to <laughs> yes. allude to. At last, finally. <laughs> finally we made it. Yes. Uh only took a couple months. So uh we have a real showdown today, I think. We've got two sons of gods born to mortal women. Mm-hmm. Uh, to God's born mortal, but through their own earthly trials and travails, attain immortality. Yes. Which is a trope that's going to be used, I think, by other religions, but about that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very good. That's provocative. I like yes. it. Yes. Becomes very popular. But this is Hercules and Aristeus. Yes. Okay. Admittedly, uh, Aristeus is maybe. A bit less well-known. Right. Name recognition, not quite there. With yeah, that. so uh, we'll see how that goes in the iconography round. But uh, through different paths, uh, made some pretty big contributions to humanity in the Greco-Roman world. Um, and uh, anything else you want to add? That is all. Let's all take right. right in. Okay, so this is God vs. God, Episode 8 of Season 1, Greco-Roman Style. Aristeus versus Hercules. And as it is an even uh, digit number, I've got the start. So, yes. Um, you know, people are probably saying at home, God versus God has sold out. Uh, we've gone for the search engine optimization with Aristeus. It's nonsense. <laughs> Not nonsense. Or maybe we sold out to big beekeeping. Uh, but. <laughs> No, this is who the digital wheel of fate has given me. That's true. Um, and we have, of course, called Aristeus, the god of beekeeping mm -hmm. in our title. Um, but we could have gone as easily with the god of shepherds, mm. the god of cheese, yes, the god of vineyards, the god of olive pressing, or the god of useful arts, simply because he's the god of all those things. That's quite a spread. Yeah. And uh, all those were in the running for the name of the episode. <laughs> But there are additional looser associations with God of the Winds, God of Medicine, or God of Prophecy, though uh, that's sort of already taken. Um, but we're going to hear about most of those uh, in this episode. So we went with beekeeping because his most famous myths are strongly associated with beekeeping and honey. Mm. So teaser that that is. Yes. Uh, you know, we know not necessarily to judge a god by their day job. Mm -hmm. Dionysus, for example, driving people mad in order to rip babies apart <laughs> isn't necessarily implied by being the god of Chianti. No, not the first line of the resume. No. Yeah, so not doesn't necessarily follow just from that. No. Um, but I will note that Aristeus also has a number of connections with Dionysus who's going to keep coming up. Mm -hmm. about uh, this half of the episode. So Aristeus' name means the best or the most useful or shining through a different uh, derivation, but we'll see which, if any of those, he lives up to. Um, and there is no separate Roman name. Aristeus is always Aristeus. That's the one you get. That's it. Keeps it simple. And in terms of origin... Aristeus was the god, I'm sorry, 
Aristeus was the son of Apollo and Kyrene. And Cyrene was princess in the mountains of Thrace. And Apollo, of course, was the god of prophecy. And we know about him as the subject of episode three. Yes. And as the loving brother of Artemis in our last episode, episode seven, mm-hmm. as well as other stories. So Cyrene, uh, the mother of Aristeus, as I said, was a mortal princess, but she was so beautiful and remarkable that there were rumors of her being a nymph daughter of the river god Peneus. Mm. So Cyrene, though, had no interest in sort of the traditional female arts of the time, like weaving. Instead, she liked to hunt and shepherd sheep, and that's what she was doing when she caught the eye of Apollo. Mm. So her sheep were being attacked, in fact, by a lion. And Cyrene doesn't shoot a bow and arrow at it. She doesn't throw her spear. Instead, she elects to wrestle the lion barehanded. Okay. That's so, almost a Herculean move. Yes. Almost foreshadowing. Yes. Uh, Greco-Roman style, no doubt. <laughs> yes. uh, but uh, we don't get a lot of details other than she was victorious over the lion and unscathed. So Apollo is witnessing this whole thing, uh, standing kind of at a distance. You know, no word on whether he would have intervened had the wrestling match gone sideways for the young woman but as it is he was hooked she's beautiful she wrestles lions what's Um, not to love yeah so but he does check in first with his buddy chiron who is uh of course the wisest of the centaurs which is generally kind of a low bar but (laughs) he is (laughs) he is is the the wisest of them and so he yeah he goes even though uh paulo's the god of prophecy he goes to get a prophecy from Chiron says, you know, what do you think about Cyrene? He says, well, if you hook up with Cyrene, take her as your consort, she will become queen in Libya, and she will give birth to Aristeus, who will become immortal and a joy to men. Mm. Oh, he says that? That sounds like a pretty good deal, and that's what happens. Absolutely. He takes her, uh, Cyrene, from uh, Thrace to Libya, where she bears Aristeus. And then Apollo immediately takes Aristeus from Cyrene, mm. takes, her, takes him off her hands. But in return, uh, she's made immortal and made the queen of the city of Cyrene, mm-hmm. uh, which was being founded at the time. So it's probably just like her house, her hut, but right. <laughs> but she makes she a go of it. Yeah. yeah. She makes a go of it and it, it does become a major city in the Greco-Roman world. So Aristeus is then given to the goddesses of the seasons and Gaia, um, who is the earth goddess. Mm-hmm. And they nurse him on ambrosia and boom, he's immortal. So he goes through a little teething. Yep. It's the ambrosia and baby Aristeus is a god. But then he's passed off again and he's given to some other nymphs, the myrtle nymphs. And he proves to be very curious and a Apparently a good learner. The Myrtle nymphs, nymphs are the ones who teach him about cheese making hmm. and beekeeping and honey jarring and all these things, uh, all of pressing, all of which apparently are unknown to mortal men at this time. Hmm. So he's picked up his calling. He's going to go travel around and uh, spread these useful arts. Before this, bees were unkept 
Cheese yeah, was they were just, cheesed. Just yeah. Yeah, milk. Milk went bad, and people had no idea what to do. No, I didn't. Yeah, so that so was yeah. it. So, um, you know, so much as we said, Dionysus was going to be uh, Johnny Grapeseed, right? Um, Aristeus is going to be Johnny Honeybee, <laughs> Johnny Sheepherder, Johnny Cheesemaker, yeah, Johnny Olive Oil. You know, all all rolled into one. That's um, wonderful. Yeah, and and of course he's going to continue with more associations with Dionysus as we go on. So he's like um, a walking Whole Foods in the ancient yes. world. No, that's, uh, that's <laughs> a, he, he may have founded that. We don't know. Um, so Aristeus uh, spends a little time. He then he goes back and meets with Chiron and muses, and this is sort of his his secondary education. And they teach him about healing and prophecy, and the muses uh, get him his MR and uh, find him a wife. Mm-hmm. So um, in this case, it's uh, Atunui, who is the daughter of Cadmus and Harmonia. Mm. And at this time, he lives, he goes, he moves to central Greece near Thebes, um, which is, of course, where Cadmus is the king of Thebes. And in the meantime, he's, he travels around spreading beekeeping and cheesemaking and such, and uh, visit some of his godly relatives to pick up new skills. Mm-hmm. And in one version, at least, Aristeus at this time becomes foster father to Dionysus. Oh, really? So he is, uh, Dionysus is his uncle because mm-hmm. Zeus is his uh, father. Right. And through his wife, uh, Dionysus is also his nephew because... Yes. Dionysus' mother is the sister of Atinui. So uh, he's his uncle, nephew, foster son. <laughs> that is quite a job description. At, at this they make point. a Hallmark card for that one, do they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole section. Uh, <laughs> at the time. At the time. Yeah, at the time. Uh, so, uh, so he's traveling around the uh, Mediterranean with his retinue, setting up sessions at the local farmer association meetings. Uh, you know, maybe surprising random farmers in the fields with your <laughs> block of cheese. Yeah. And um, at some point uh, in Aristeus' travels, and I, I guess Dionysus has has left at this point, uh, Aristeus and his uh, uncle nephew uh, have a little bit of a quarrel, mm-hmm. um, which usually doesn't go too well for the other party who has a quarrel with Dionysus. It does not. Um, but... This time, their quarrel ends up getting settled through a contest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will take this from the Dionysica. Uh, the blessed gods were gathered together. There was no boxing, no running, no discus in that contest. Cups were the well-used tools <laughs> ready for Aristeus. A couple of mixing bowls, one containing wine, and the other the gift of the sprig-loving bee. Zeus sat in the seat of judgment. So it's a taste test between t- wine and honey. No, between honeymead oh, and oh, wine. Okay. So it's a honeymead wine off uh, with the Olympians and Zeus as the judges. Okay. Uh, so, you know, this is actually a myth that we could reenact. I was going to say, <laughs> if in, you way, to. in ways we have in yes. certain <laughs> forms over the years. But uh, yes. I, yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe that'll be a, a special episode where we do this. <laughs> yeah. um, so as opposed to you know snake uh slaying snake monsters or transforming 
transforming nosy hunters into quadrupeds. This no. one we could actually. <laughs> this one we could actually do. A little more realistic for our, yeah. uh, our budget and our skill legal set, tolerance. Yeah. Yes. Right. So, uh, we'll think about it. Um, yeah. But in the myth, uh, Aristeus goes first, and the Olympians uh, love Aristeus' first cup of of mead. Uh, but this is Olympian style, so it's not just you know take a sniff, swish it in the mouth, and spit it out. No. Uh, this is this is a volume contest. Oh. So they take the second one, and they like that one too. Yep. Then they go the third one, and that one goes down a little more slowly, and 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 they don't even want a fourth. Mm. So then it's on to the wine, and well, that one they enjoy glass after glass, each yes. one more than the last, and. Uh, some point they blearily uh declared dionysus the winner <laughs> almost so. like a foreshadowing of the miller light slogan taste great less feeling <laughs> yes there it is uh and uh you know dionysus is given the crown of of ivy by eros um no real tale of what damage was done uh, by the gods on that evening but i'm sure it, it wasn't it too was good. it was something like yeah uh so aristeus and apollo go go away a little bit a little bit disappointed Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he's, he's still in, uh, around Thebes at this time, um, which is going to become one of the centers of his worship. And, uh, we get some depictions of him by the Potter community as a winged God doesn't come up anywhere else, but mm. there were some Potters who thought he had wings and could fly. So <laughs> good to know. We'll keep that in mind, <laughs> uh, which that would have been helpful with the traveling agricultural info sessions. Yeah. No kidding. Would have cut down your travel time. For yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Frequent flyer miles. Um, <laughs> And then one day tragedy strikes. So by this time, uh, his son with Atinui is a young man. Um, and rumor comes back to the Theban palace that Aristeus and Atinui's son is dead. Hmm. He's been devoured by his own dogs. Oh, I am of course talking about Actian. <laughs> Aristeus is the father of Actian. And Artemis, by the way, is was his grand aunt. Oh, so um, we get a little bit of the aftermath of that myth uh, from the last episode. So the rumor that comes about Actian's death uh, to the Theban palace is somewhat incomplete. So I'll get this from the Dynastica. It says, Atinui, along with Aristeus, her husband, went in search for the scattered remains of the dead. She saw her son, but knew him not. She beheld the shape of a dappled deer, and saw no aspect of a man. She passed the bones of a fawn unrecognized. So they know that he's dead, but they don't know that he's been, he was transformed into a deer before his right, death. Right, right. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah, yes. so, so there you go. So yes, yeah, so he was transformed into a deer yes. and then killed, but they're just looking for, for the remains of the body. And I'm just seeing de- deer bones here. I, I know. <laughs> yeah, and they look like him. But eventually, Actian comes to Aristeus in a dream hmm. and gives him the full story. Though maybe, maybe that was actually Morpheus uh, from episode four, but hmm. uh, we get it as, as actually Actian. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that new information, uh, Aristeus is able to gather enough of the remains of his transformed son and give him a proper, if probably closed casket uh, burial. <laughs> So. I would suspect so. Yeah, yes. I would expect so. Um, <laughs> but that that kind of does it for Atenui and Aristeus. And Aristeus uh, 
leaves Boeotia, uh, or the area around Thebes, and he goes to his father's oracle and, you know, trying to figure out, well, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. And uh, says, you're needed in the island of Chios, uh, which is an island in the Cyclades. And so he sets sail for there uh, with a little group. And he arrives to find a plague of fever over the island, along with a strong heat wave and drought. So, a combination you would you would like. Double no, heat. No, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, and it's a bad deal, right? So Aristeus does a little divination, find out what the source of the plague is, mm-hmm. um, and so this is also is the time that they call the dog days of summer, mm. uh, and that is so named for Sirius, the dog star. Uh, who appears to rise alongside the sun in late July and early August. And in ancient times was the heat wave of August was attributed to the extra heat coming from Sirius. Yet another astronomy lesson. Yeah. As part of this program, they're piling up that they are. So, so there's a connection here uh, to the, both the heat wave and uh, the fever. So the story goes that a male devotee of Dionysus named Icarus of Athens, who's not the, the famous Icarus, but a, a different one, different one, yeah. uh, was spreading the knowledge of wine around to villagers who had never experienced wine before. So again, mm-hmm. this is still back in early days, mm-hmm. um, you know, and seeing the effects of their now drunk, passed out friends, a couple of the other, other villagers think that the wine drinkers have been poisoned by Icarus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they kill him. Oh. Uh, then when their friends wake up the next morning, only slightly uh, worse for wear, <laughs> they, they, the killers realize their mistake and hightail it out of Kios. We, we may have overdone it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we may have overreacted, guys. <laughs> a little bit. So uh, meanwhile, Icarus had a dog whose name was Mara, which I guess means shining. And Mara goes full lassie mode. Mm. Uh the dog goes back to find the man's daughter and pulls the daughter by her skirt to show her the shallow grave uh, where the body is and, and, and digs up the body. But then the daughter, seeing her father's body there uh, and imagining her, her poverty, kills herself in despair. Oof. And now the dog feels bad about this. <laughs> this didn't go the way uh, expected so in atonement for the girl's death the dog throws itself down a well mm. and now so we got a triple tragedy kind of full hamlet mode yeah no, to, to the this bodies story. are piling up here yeah and again into the uh, astronomy lessons dionysus makes the faithful dog into sirius mm. the, the dog star yeah so the dog star is literally a transformed dog uh part of the constellation Canis Major, mm. uh, which means, of course, big dog. Being um, awarded for his selfless act. Yes, of, awarded yeah. for his selfless act and loyalty. Nice. Um, but, of course, now, the as I said, those killers had hightailed it to Chios and are unknowingly being sheltered on the island uh, by the people. Mm. So the dog star is mad, and he's taking it out on Chios. So Aristeus... I don't know what kind of uh, divination he does, but he gets this whole whole story yeah. uh, acted out for himself in, in the entrails or something. <laughs> um, and armed with this backstory, he goes and he performs the sacrifice to Zeus 
asks for the granting of the Atesian winds, uh, which are seasonal winds that blow from the north and cool down uh, the Greek islands to mitigate the heat of the dog star. And then back in the Dionysica, we got Aristeus stood steel clad to receive the glare of Sirius the dog star and all night long repelled and claimed the star's fiery heat. And even now the winds cooled him with light puffs and he lances his heart hot parching fire through the air. So he he holds this all, all night village, uh, vigil, Aristeus does, on this peak and prepares to absorb the heat of the dog star on behalf of the island. And then uh, it will also, they also, before this, he's, he's killed the, 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 the killers, sacrificed them. Sure. And then he gives a sacrifice to Sirius. Uh, I'm assuming some kibble, <laughs> maybe maybe a squeaky toy. <laughs> yeah, a big one though. Yeah, big big squeaky <laughs> toy, and that ends the plague. Uh, and the Atesian winds uh, then cool Kios mm. in the summer uh, to this day. So the sacrifice so, works. Yeah, so that 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 one worked. And then another tragedy uh, strikes Aristeus, um, where he wakes up one day to find that all of his bees are dead. What? And of course he takes it, you know, like a God and goes straight to his mother. <laughs> Mom. Yeah. And, and we get this, this is, uh, this takes, uh, like a good quarter of, uh, Virgil's Georgics is on, on this story. Wow. And so I'm going to take this from, from there. It says, uh, this is, uh, Aristeus speaking. Oh, mother, mother, Cyrene, why from the gods' glorious line did you give birth to me to be so hated by the fates? Oh, whither is your love for me banished? Did you bid me no hope for heaven? Come, and with your own hand tear my fruitful woods, put hostile flame to my stalls, destroy my crops, burn my seedlings, swing the stout axe from my vines, if such loathing for my honor has seized you. So if you read between the lines here, you can see that Aristeus is a little upset by this. Uh, yes, the, the subtleties are. <laughs> it, you, have to, you have to dig into it. Uh, but but it, it's, it's there if you go, uh, if you look hard enough. So it's not clear to me in this case, in everything I read, whether it was just his personal hive of bees or whether this is a general uh, bee calamity. Yeah. Because otherwise it, it seems like, you know, he could just go to one of his bee students and say, hey, you could you have an extra queen? Or I don't, you know, I don't know how you start a colony, but he would. That sounds, he, he would definitely know. Yeah. He would definitely know. So I'm hoping that it, it was a, a more general bee calamity because that would make this all make a little, a little more sense. overreactive, yes. Yeah, so, um, and, and, and maybe it was because his mother detects some supernatural cause and she advises Aristeus to go see Proteus, who is a minor sea god and a seer uh, to find out the cause. Now, Proteus is actually one of the best at prophecies, mm -hmm. uh, always correct. He, he sees nearly everything, but he will never willingly divulge a prophecy. He, he's just crotchy, crotchy old guy. And uh, so one has to physically capture him and hold him captive in order to get him spit out the prophecy. Wow. So 
Uh, as I said, Proteus' normal shape is an old man, but he's also a shapeshifter, which makes capturing him a little more difficult. So, Pro so Aristeus sneaks into Proteus' cave and hides until the old man falls asleep. Mm -hmm. um, and then as soon as the old man fa falls asleep, he chains him up. And then he, but he has to hold on to him as he wakes up. Um, and Proteus turns into a tiger and a boar Ooh. and a serpent and flame. He's pulling and out all the stops. Yeah. Yeah. But he cannot escape because he's being held so tightly by the bonds and by Aristeus. And at last, he tells Aristeus and Cyrene uh, the reasons uh, for the bee deaths. Mm. So, so basically, it's Aristeus' own fault. Uh, Aristeus saw. Orpheus's wife Eurydice uh, in the woods and pursued her uh, lustily and she ran from him and in running away she steps on a snake and was bitten and died and setting off the entire Orpheus myth cycle. Mm. Um, so his bees have been cursed by the wood nymphs in retaliation for his role in uh Eurydice's death. So uh, he has to go and make good and make sacrifices to Orpheus and Eurydice and the wood nymphs um, with four bulls and four heifers and, uh, sac and a ram and sacrifice them all and sort of have them in these cages. And then on the ninth day, the carcasses will have bees springing forth from them and the sacrifice has brought the bees back and they are recovered. So very dramatic. It is very dramatic. And, and that was apparently uh, one of the ways that uh, people actually in that time believed that bees came from the bodies of uh, uh, rotting animals. So, sure. uh, so the bees are recovered and then he has a couple other adventures. Uh, I'll just touch on briefly. He becomes the king in Sardinia and civilizes the island um, and brings olive tree cultivation there, mm. as well as marrying again and has a couple of more uh, kids. And then he joins his uncle, nephew, foster son Dionysus as a significant lieutenant in his war uh, in India, mm -hmm. um, where he will serve both as the army doctor and combatant. And then by some traditions, uh, he retires up to Olympus. So that is Aristeus, who's, I think, an interesting candidate. Uh, one of the things he, awfully, he obviously offers is, you know, saving of bees, which who are in trouble. Yes. Uh, which is not, you know, solving all the world's problems. But I think if we save bees, that would, that would be more than 99% of all podcasts accomplish. I would suggest that's <laughs> true. Yes. <laughs> That'd be a generous Wait. number. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so uh, he's the god of useful arts. Maybe, he, you know, it's a good bet that he's working on some other ones and uh, could bring those back. No kidding. So, and there well, we go. I'll tell you, for, for a fella that we uh, may not have the same kind of name recognition as, uh, as his competitor tonight, uh, an impressive lineup of, of skills, talents, and you know, important parts of our lives. So good <laughs> Interesting on. stories, yeah. Excellent. Well, well done. Let's uh, take a break there, and we'll move along to segment two. We're on the other side of the break. Andy Snow, play us out. All right.
And back to our second segment of this episode eight, God versus God. Now, Andrew, you called it Aristeus versus Hercules. I'm going to go old school. I'm going to okay. go Greek style Heracles. All right. Uh, because that is where his origin story really comes from. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about him most of the time in this segment is that uh, whatever you call him, quite a figure, God of strength, divine protector of mankind, the greatest of the Greek heroes, and of course, the patron of the gymnasium and physical fitness. Uh, you know, we know him mostly as Hercules. The Romans took care of that. They really embraced his tradition. Uh, later emperors would go on and take his name. They essentially adopted everything about the original Heracles, including his cult. Uh, but nonetheless, we're going to we're going to go old school. We'll stick with Heracles. So big figure in the ancient world, legendary in art, celebrated in, in high poetry, tragedy, and instantly recognizable. We'd recognize him today. The impossibly buff physique, the understandable fondness for nudity, full or partial, at least, yeah. you know, maybe a perfunctory loincloth here and there. Uh, and of course, his weapon of choice is trusty olive wood club, which we'll hear he uses for many important purposes. Now, as a, as a character, Heracles has the reputation to this day for being the total package of perfect confidence. He's got strength, right courage and sexual prowess it turns out with both males and females so a resume that checks a lot of boxes um, yep. even in this day and age but in instances where he wasn't you know where strength alone wasn't going to cut it he does still be able to apply he's, he's able to apply his considerable wits he's also somewhat playful spends a lot of time with with the youths in in this happy place the gymnasium teaches them the, the ways of manhood doing athletic training particularly wrestling okay. which is a skill he takes on and other ancient varieties of athleticism that we would now just sort of call general grab ass, but they <laughs> they learned them from him. And and while while Heracles may not have always been the smartest of, of fellows, he's a figure of great passion, great emotion, and like many of our previous contestants, occasionally has a bit of a temper that that gets okay. in the way uh, and gets him in trouble from time to time. But for in some cases, understandable reasons, which we'll hear about here. Um, but even with all that, so much promise, uh, there is still one critical question that remains to this day about his potential to emerge as the victor in this episode or even this season of God versus God, a critical question that I hope to answer by, by the end of this segment. So we'll okay. leave that there for some foreshadowing. So we'll start with his origin story. And, and of course, we've talked many times on this program of Hera and her, her rage and her jealousy. Of course, the Olympian goddess of women, primary sister wife of, of Zeus, the god of gods, and one who has a certain predilection for jealous rage of, right. of many, many kinds. But you could argue that, that Heracles may be the figure that Hera dislikes the most across okay. the board, which is really, which is saying something. Yeah, across that, that her story. Dionysus didn't do, do too well with her. Either. No, and, and the list goes on. But, uh, but the Heracles list is pretty, is pretty impressive. So the hatred begins so early, not even with his, with his birth, but his very conception. And of course, typically it comes back to her her husband, Zeus, who, similar to, to in your segment, Zeus takes a liking to a mortal woman uh, by the name of Alcmene. And, you know, beyond the fact that, that Zeus is, of course, already married to Hera, who's been, he's been through several wives up until that point. But because of, you know, beyond that, he's got two big problems when it comes to his love for Alcmene. First, she, too, is in a relationship. So she has, uh, she's, she's been going with Amphitryon, who's both a prince and a general from Thebes. And secondly, of course, Alcmene is also... Zeus's great granddaughter, which, you know, family trees, what are you going to do? Right. Uh, in true Zeus form, he's not going to let that second one get in the way of his mojo, but he does make a plan to get past Alcmene's man, uh, to whom she is at the time betrothed 
but not yet fully married. So turns out Alchemini had a number of brothers who had died in battle against the Tafians. And even though she's in love with Amphitryon, she falls for him, but will only marry him if he first avenges the deaths of each of her fallen brothers. Sure. Amphitryon, he's smitten, he's taken by her, he says yes, and heads out and fights a series of battles to avenge the deaths of every brother. He fights bravely and very successful on the battlefield. And once he's finally made good on his word, his vengeance is complete, he heads home to Alchemini and finally is ready to claim his bride in triumph. But just before he arrives home, in fact, earlier that very evening, Zeus manages to get there first. He disguises himself as Amphitryon and as him begins to seduce Alchemini. So even by Zeus standards, this is a pretty low blow. I mean, he's stepping in on a a war hero right before he's home from battle. Even Zeus is, is, is bending pretty low for this one. So. At the same time, he's recounting as Alchemist Amphitryon, he's, he's recounting all of these stories of, of the battlefield in a very compelling way. And as such, um, Alchemini falls for him. She cannot help but yield to his charms. And so Zeus gets his way and is off yeah. in his style. He impregnates her immediately and slinks away into the night. Now, shortly thereafter, that same night, the real Amphitryon finally arrives home from the battle and having achieved his objectives at war, he proceeds to ravish Alchemini. He too manages to impregnate her that very same night. Okay. Now from Alchemini's perspective, she can't tell the difference between the two because Zeus is is really good with his trickery and his his great stories. Uh, So in his mind, it's just kind of her old man coming back for round two (laughs) later that night. Uh, But in fact, it is is a different story in, in the real world. So She's pregnant with twins, and as a result, she is soon carrying a set of twins that are the result of a little something called heteropaternal super, super fecundation. Okay, yeah. Another series of, of top-notch vocabulary words offered by this, this podcast, a fine candidate for any spelling bee. And that means a set of twins with one mother, but two different fathers, so making right. them both twins and technically half-siblings. Now, it turns out this type of super fecundation is actually rather common among stray cats and dogs, but rare in humans, although it does still happen, believe right. it or not. So there was, there was a study of, of, of twins where parents got involved in paternity suits to challenge the fatherhood of two twins. And the frequency of confirming this particular situation, about 2.4%. Uh-huh. Very rare, but it does happen with humans. Okay. There's a fascinating rabbit hole of information on this topic. (laughs) I mean, there's twins born with different skin colors. There's like one twin who's conceived from IVF and the other natural. But all that will have to wait for our inevitable spinoff series, Twin versus Twin. (laughs) For now, we'll leave that to the side. Uh, But in any case, Hera, of course, inevitably finds out about Zeus's fling with Alcmene. And true to character, she sets herself to jealous rage. But her very specific type of revenge is making life really difficult, not so much for Zeus, who was really the one committing the crime, but for the offspring of his affairs. And in this case, of course, that's Heracles. Now, we've heard the story about Heracles' difficult birth, I think twice on this program from different points of view. Uh, Hera intervenes, of course, doesn't want it to be born, gets the Moira involved, the face to sit kind of in front of Alcmene, a little bit of trickery from Galinthius, who's the servant, and she lies to the fates, tells them the twins are already born. They jump out. We, We know the story. Right. And out come the twins, Heracles with his half-brother. And of course, as a side note, Galinthius, who could forget, is turned into a weasel for her <laughs> crimes of dishonesty. Yes. But thankfully, the twins are out safe, at least at least for, for a moment. 
So after the birth, Alcmene is, is so afraid of Hera continuing to, to show her wrath that she decides to expose our baby hero. Now, this was a new piece of information for me. You kind of alluded yeah. to it in the first section, but committing exposure after birth was a term for child abandonment, which really happened far more commonly than you would expect. There's right. a, there's, I wouldn't say a proud tradition, but a long tradition yeah. of yeah. Yeah. Leaving, leaving infants in the woods. Maybe somebody nice will come along. Maybe it'll be raised by animals. Who's to say? But right. uh, our hero is, is exposed as an infant in the woods. And thankfully, because he's a hero, Athena herself, the great protectress of heroes, rescues the young child and very cleverly gives the child to her own half-sister so that she can raise him. And of course, that own half-sister is unknowingly Hera herself. <laughs> so Hera gets the baby, doesn't know who it is, but nurses the big fella out of pity. But because he's already so strong, even as an infant, uh, he suckles with a great deal of force, and that causes Hera pain to the point where she pushes him away from her breast, her milk sprays everywhere. Now, what do you suppose happened, Andrew, with the milk that shot out after Hera rejected our young hero? <laughs> I have no idea. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Yeah. That milk sprayed across the heavens and created the Milky Way galaxy, <laughs> bringing it all right back again. Wow, yeah. Hard is... science and astronomy lessons. So, Astronomy-heavy episode. It is. So the Milky Way is born. Uh, but Hera storms off and you know, Athena grabs the child again, brings our hero back to his, his rightful parents who are going to raise him and all is well. So they think. Um, so this is where something interesting happens. So after Hera takes off, there's a, there's a radical moment. So originally our hero is actually named Alcides. That's his birth name. Okay. But at this point, to keep Hera off their case, the parents say, we're going to change the boy's name to just placate Hera. And that's where the name Heracles comes from. So it actually means the pride or glory of Hera. Oh, wow. They're thinking, all right, if we name this son after you, surely you will not bother us anymore. So Heracles, he is. Right. Um, you'd think that would be enough icing on the cake. But as we know, Hera's, Hera's wrath runs very deep. That's not going to do it. So she buys her time for about eight more months. Okay. And the twins are doing okay. They, they're going to sleep in their nursery. Hera sends a little something over to the two of them. So she sends two giant snakes into the nursery. Now her, his brother, Iphicles, cries in fear at the snakes, which frankly at any age is what <laughs> I would do. Uh, but Heracles snaps into action. He grabs one snake in each hand, strangles them both. And ultimately he's found by his nurse in his cot, playing with the dead snakes as though they were <laughs> toys and laughing. Like, yeah, that, that's the best you got, a couple of giant snakes. So the father, who is raising them, the semi-cuckolded figure, Amphitryon, immediately sends for a seer, says something special is going on, who delivers the prophecy that Heracles will have an unusual future and will vanquish many monsters, which we know will be true. Right. So all's going pretty well. Heracles is growing up as one does. He's continuing to get bigger and stronger. He's enjoying physical activity with the other boys, even enrolls in music lessons with none other than Linus of Thrace, who is a legendary musician, master of eloquent speech, trained even Orpheus himself, as you, who you mentioned earlier, the greatest right. singer of his time. So top-notch musical trainer here for young Heracles. Um, but during the lessons, it becomes pretty clear that he is less talented in the musical realm as he <laughs> sort of more physical thing. Okay. So he's trying to play the lyre, the, the, you know, his ancient harp in, in his ancient style, but the great Linus is not having it. He's reprimanding young Heracles on his mistakes and he punishes him with rods. Now Heracles... Okay 
like many great men, could use a moment like this of failure in his youth to recognize his limitations, maybe focus on where his greater talents might be. Uh, instead, Heracles responds by taking the harp and beating his teacher to death with it. <laughs> no. There we go. Some, some would argue that he didn't know his own strength. He felt bad about that. He's still coming into his own. Uh, but there is a murder trial, and Heracles okay. ends up quoting the ancient law of Radamanthus, which says, whoever defends himself against a wrongful aggressor shall go free. Which, when you think about it, is essentially like the dude had it coming. <laughs> defense. <laughs> right. um, so maybe he didn't know his own strength. Maybe he was persuasive that the guy shouldn't have been beating him up in his music lessons. But in any case, he's acquitted. Uh, but his mortal father still says you need to pay the price. So he sends him out to pasture to tend to the cows as his punishment. And Her Heracles is happy to do it because he feels bad. So he does head to the mountains, begins to tend to the cattle. Um, assumingly, he's, he's, he's presumably given up music at this point, just leaves right. that in the rearview mirror. Um, and he's hanging out the cattle and something very important happens. So, so according to a fable of that time, he's visited by two allegorical figures named Vice and Virtue. And they give him a choice. They know he's special and they say, You've got a choice of how your life's going to go. And they ask him, do you want a pleasant, easy life or a severe but glorious life? Right. Now, for me, that would be very <laughs> I would clearly take the first one because I'm very lazy. But as you might suspect, young Heracles thinks about it so. in yeah. this moment known as the choice of Heracles. Uh, and he chooses the latter. And we'll hear that his life, of course, is anything but easy. But in the end, it is quite glorious. So he finishes up with the cattle. Heads to Thebes, marries the daughter of King Creon, Megara. They have a couple of children, three children. Everything's going great. And you can almost hear him thinking in the moment, man, life has gotten so much better since old Hera just got off my back and let me be <laughs> me. But as you can, uh, as you can guess, Hera is not done with him yet. In fact, in this moment of happiness, Hera induces a fit of madness in Heracles. And in a sense of or a state of temporary insanity, Heracles kills his wife and children all at once. Ooh. Now, the madness of that from Hera wears off right afterward. He finds himself covered with blood. He realizes what he's done and feels terrible. So he immediately goes straight to the Oracle at Delphi, but not before Hera pulls a bit of a double play. So she gets to the Oracle first, before knowing he's going to head there and directs right. the Oracle exactly what to say. So in a way, you kind of have to respect the, 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 the double play of vengeance that, that Hera's got. Oh, yeah. So through her direction, the oracle tells Heracles, you need to serve the king, the King Aristheus, for a period of 10 years and perform every task the king requires of you. Now, this is even worse because Heracles and Eurystheus are actually arch enemies. Okay. They were both heirs of Perseus, I think grandsons or something. Her Heracles would have been the king instead of Eurystheus, if not for the fact that he was born two months too late. But because you guessed it, Hera caused Eurystheus to be born prematurely to get him out sooner. So wow. all these years later, not only is Heracles not the king, the other guy is, and now he's the other guy's servant for the next 10 years. So I'll call it a, a Hera Avengers triple play. That's like, yeah. a long game. She's I, yeah, I give her every props. second. Amazing. Talk about forethought. So yeah. Heracles accepts his sentence and the king decides to assign his new servant to what are going to become known as the labors of Heracles. It's probably what, what Heracles is ultimately best known for. You yeah. alluded to them briefly. Um, and the deal is, if Heracles can accomplish all 12 of these labors, he will be cleansed of his sin against his family, killing his family. And according to most accounts, he'll be granted not only that, but full immortality. Because as you mentioned, mortal mother, divine father. So he's somewhere in the middle as kind of a demigod. Right. But by virtue of performing all of these labors, if he gets to the end, 
he'll get to get full immortality. Plus, you know, he's got an extra boost. He did get a few swigs of Hera's goddess milk, which gave him some, some extra energy. So he's, he's doing well, but the stakes are high. He's not fully there yet. Um, and for our purposes, you know, each of these labors is certainly a worthy tale in itself. But right. Since we're trying to keep these episodes to, you know, a, a, a slim yeah. 90 or so minutes apiece, <laughs> uh, I'm going to run through them quickly, kind of a rapid fire manner, like a lightning round. I will, I will make it my, my 12 labors to get through each of these <laughs> one minute or less for each one. So we'll go through them quickly, but each one has a ton of depth uh, and each one gets harder as they go. So labor one. It, he's keeping it close to home. The king says, slay the Nemean lion. So we got this vicious monster, this lion living in Nemea. Can't be killed with the weapons of mortals. He's got this golden fur, impervious to attack. He's got these claws that are sharper than swords. They can pierce armor. Heracles is pretty confident going in. He enters Nemea, finds the lion, tries to shoot him with the bow and arrow. The shots just bounce off harmlessly off the lion's thigh. But again, Heracles has his wits about him. He causes the lion to enter his cave, traps him in the darkness in close quarters, and he uses those wrestling skills to kill the lion with his bare hands. Now, of course, to, to create proof that he's accomplished the labor, right. he wants to remove the lion's pelt as evidence of his success, but because it is weapon resistant, he can't get it off. Cameo from Athena, who comes and says, as goddess of wisdom, tear off one of the lion's claws, which are sharper than armor. Use that to skin the rest of the animal. Pretty smart. Nice. Yeah. So he continues to wear the pelt of the Nemean lion. It gives him this extra protection uh, that is sort of weapon resistant across oh, okay. all the rest of the, la the labor. So it becomes kind of its own weapon. Takes it back to King Eurystheus, who is frankly both amazed that he could pull this first one off and also terrified that he, <laughs> that he got it done. And he comes, you know, wearing the big, the big pelt. So the king makes two commitments to Heracles. Is first of all, the rest of these labors are going to happen far away from here because I don't want you anywhere near my hometown because <laughs> you're one scary dude. But secondly, each of these labors, should you accomplish them, will get increasingly more and more difficult. So he follows it up with labor two, slay the Nernaean Hydra. So you mentioned Hydras a second ago, a little bit before. Fire-breathing monster. This particular one is living in a swamp near Lerna. It's got multiple serpent heads, as many as nine, depending who you ask. One is immortal, but the other are, are killable. Um, it's got poisoned blood, and it's so virulent, the blood, that even its scent is deadly. You can't even smell it without dying. So Heracles approaches in the swamp, covers his nose and mouth from the stench, and then whether he's using either a sword or his famous olive wood club, cuts off one of the Hydra's heads. Then he realizes there's a catch. When you cut off one head of the Lernaean Hydra, two will grow back yep. in its place. And he says, I'm going to need a little help on this one. We'll back <laughs> up. So he calls his nephew, Aeolus, gets some help, and Heracles defeats the monster by cutting off each head. But Aeolus, after he cuts it off, scorches the stump with a firebrand or a flaming implement cauterizes the beast in each head hole okay yeah gets to the final grow. head and, and in a moment of real brilliance i think he dips heracles dips his arrows in the hydra's own poison blood envenomizes the supposedly immortal head buries it under a stone the task is complete so okay. need a little help on that one yeah. the king ended up kind of saying you might have cheated because you weren't supposed to get a little little, <laughs> little lifeline from your cousin or your, your nephew but in any yeah. case the hydra is slain Gets to labor three, what is known as the golden hind of Artemis. So hind is a giant female deer, bigger than a bull. It's got golden antlers, very quickly, very fleet of foot, snorts fire. And the hind is sacred to Armatus, of course, who is goddess of the hunt. Back in the day, she came upon a, a mighty herd of five of these creatures. She was very impressed, so much so that she grabbed four of them, yoked them for her own chariot, but let uh, the fifth yep. one go 
just in case you ever needed someone to perform a difficult task. <laughs> we'll have one out there as a wild card. Well, yeah. this was the moment. So, but because it because the the hind is sacred to this goddess, Heracles has to capture it rather than kill it, which takes him a full year. And so a combination of nets, maybe a couple of arrows off the sides, he's able to capture the beast, take it back to the king without killing it. Right. But it took him a year to do that. So he's clearly got some patience. Labor four, very similar. He's captured the Eremethean boar. So another fierce kind of pig creature also takes time. He captures it and brings it back. And again, demonstrations of patience. This one also takes him several months to get this okay. done. Uh, the fifth one, the king is saying, okay, clearly this guy's kind of got my number. He's, he's pretty good at both killing <laughs> capturing, and capturing yeah. these creatures. Now we're going to get some cleaning work. And he says, well, why don't you try to clean the Augean stables in one day? Cleaning stables wouldn't have been where I thought this was going. But right. he says, hey, 3,000 diseased cattle who've got, you know, their feces carry terrible disease. We've never cleaned the place. Cleaning all that in the same day would be impossible. Yeah, it's got but a time these- limit on this one. It's got to be 24 hours. You've got to get it done yeah. in one day. So after all this patience, he's got to snap into action. So Heracles, thinking quickly, is able to dig ditches on both sides of the stables and then divert two rivers to go into those ditches, wash the stable clean. Now here, I think we see the breadth of skill in Heracles because not only can he wrestle and, and, and take care of these big bestial creatures, he's got, of all things, a talent in civil engineering to be able to reroute <laughs> yeah. rivers yeah dig ditches so not just strength but some some real civic smarts there um as something of an amateur scientist gets that done gets to labor six slaying the stemphalian birds of course now man-eating birds are terrorizing this forest they've got beaks of bronze sharp feathers made of metal that can shoot at you and then in this recurring theme i think poisonous dung so heracles has got to take care of these birds at least you know get rid of them proving he's taking care of them he can't go into the marsh where they live his body weight is too heavy but he's able to get a rattle from Athena called the Crotala, sort of like a God-level castanet, a little thing you can shake, <laughs> make some noise. Uh, in yeah, fact, right. it was Hephaestus, uh, Vulcan of the Roman tradition, who made this specially for yeah. the occasion. So yeah. knowing this labor was, was on, on, uh, on the board, he made this rattle. So Heracles shakes the rattle, scares the birds, shoots them with arrows. Many of them takes them back to the king. The last few fly away. They do live on a very distant island elsewhere in the world, but he kills enough of them to get credit for completing Labor 6. So Labor 7, back to kind of traditional, the Cretan bull. We've got this giant bull creature has been terrorizing the island of Crete. Heracles heads over to the island, asks King Minos for permission to capture it. The king says, yes, this bull has been terrorizing my kingdom. I would love that if you could, if you could <laughs> capture him, please do. He does yeah. the job with his bare hands, ships it to the king to complete the labor, once the king has this bull in his, in his uh, custody, though, eventually it breaks loose and wanders from over to Marathon, which he proceeds to then terrorize Marathon in its entirely different way. So he becomes the Marathonian bull in the okay. pro- probably history's first instance of rebranding. So the Cretan bull, <laughs> Marathonian bull had a nice second yeah. act. But again, Heracles gets, gets credit because he got the bull back to the king. Labor eight. Steal the mares of Diomedes. So Diomedes, I think the son of Ares, I want to say, son of this or king of this warlike tribe. Yeah. And he's trained his pack of horses to feed on human flesh. That's been his thing. Everybody needs a hobby. That was his. <laughs> so he's got these fleshy yeah. horses, wild and terrifying. But but yeah. on the plus side, once they get their fill, their, their meal of human flesh, they get calm. They get satiated. You know, they, it calms them down. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So Heracles gets the job done, 
I think with some extra flourish, he's able to, when he gets to, but he's been able to control the horses. He actually feeds King Diomedes himself to his own horses. Oh, nice. And then while they're enjoying their kind of calm period, their little food coma, Heracles sews their mouths shut. So great double whammy. This terrible warlike king ends up getting eaten by his own horses. Yeah. The horses can no longer do that. They are stolen, bring, brought back to the king. Labor eight is in the books. Labor nine. Now we're moving to clothing. Nine is to obtain the girdle of Hippolyta, who, of course, is queen of the Amazons. Now, girdle sounds pretty light, uh, also described as kind of a war belt, so really more of a sort of implement of, of battle. Okay. Um, the difficulty of stealing this is less about the garment itself, but more about outwitting this mighty tribe of Amazonian warriors. Now, some of the accounts differ, but in, in most of the versions, the queen of the Amazons, uh, Hippolyta, is so impressed with Her- Her- Heracles, who just gives it to him. So, you know what? Impressive. Please take my garter. But more likely, in most accounts, Hera does get involved, disguises herself as an Amazon, and then begins to spread rumors that, hey, this Heracles fellow, I think, is attacking our queen. Something ought to be done about this. All right. Fierce battle ensues. The Amazons they attack him. And in, there's, a, there's a huge fracas in this version. Unfortunately, Heracles, who was treated really well at the beginning by the queen, has to kill her to get out. But he does take the belt, the girder, the okay. girdle, and steals away, makes it back to the king. Labor nine is done. Labor 10, we go back to cattle. He's, he's going to obtain the cattle of the monster <laughs> named Gurion. So the, the, yeah. this fearsome giant. We covered this, I think, in episode six in, in the Helios episode yep. where it's very hot. He's wandering through the Libyan desert. He gets so annoyed at the heat, as does Heracles, that he fires an arrow at the sun at Helios. A good example of him, of Heracles not being terribly bright, more emotional in moments. Right. Yet, nonetheless, Helios is impressed at his bravery. And he lends him, as you described a few episodes back, that golden cup that the sun god would use to sail across the sea from east to west each night. And with that cup, Heracles is able to kill the guard, the herdsmen, get the cattle. But he has a lot of trouble getting them back home because Hera gets involved again. She sends a gadfly, an insect, to bite and irritate and scatter the cattle, which they do. And again, it takes Heracles an entire year to retrieve the cattle, bring them back together. So Hera comes back and sends a flood and says, all right, I'm going to make it so you can't cross the river. Floods the plain. He's not able to cross the river, but Heracles can pile up stones to make the water shallower. Afterward, he can walk the cattle across the river. So again, strength plus civil engineering, <laughs> clutch. Yeah. The worst part of the story to me is that he finally does get the cattle back to King Aristheus, but once he does, they are immediately sacrificed to Hera. <laughs> so after all that trouble, oh, yeah, there Hera you go. gets all the glory. But labor 10 is done. Labor 11, probably at this point, the trickiest yet based on the king's promise. Steal the golden apples of the Hesperides, the nymphs of the evening. Now, these are sacred fruits protected by Hera herself, guarded by a hundred-headed dragon. And Heracles needs to find them. He sets out for the garden where they're held. Comes across our old friend Prometheus, which will bring us back to the Titan god of forethought in episode right. five. Uh, he, of course, had been punished for stealing fire on behalf of mortals. He was chained to a rock being punished with an eagle every day eating his liver. And the two make a deal. Prometheus says, if you kill this eagle, who is, who is really making my life difficult, I'll help you find the garden with the golden apples. Heracles agrees, shoots the eagle, and Prometheus sends him to his brother, Atlas, who was punished after the Titanomachy to carry the weight of the world and hold up the heavens. Atlas, famous image, of course. Right. Um, Atlas is happy to help you out with those apples. All you got to do is hold up, just take, take the earth off my shoulders while, while I go and get them, but I'll be back. And Heracles realizes he needs the help. So he, t- he takes, the, takes the offer, takes the weight of the world on his shoulders. Atlas does the job, gets the apples, comes back, 
But then he tries some shenanigans. He tries yeah, to sure. trick Heracles, you may recall, into carrying the heavens permanently by saying, you know what? Why don't you just let me take these back to the king myself? You don't need to worry. Well, you just stay here. You're doing, you're doing great. But Heracles kind of knows he's 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 got his senses about him. He knows he's he's being he's being tricked. So he pulls the kind of double shenanigans. He says, All right, I'm gonna pretend to agree with the offer. He says, you know, you're on. It'd be great if you could do that. Real quick though, before before you do, just let me grab the heavens for a second. I just gotta, I gotta adjust my coat, gotta fix my cloak. <laughs> Atlas, you know, being not the dumbest of, of Prometheus' brothers, but but second, not, yeah. <laughs> uh, ends up taking the offer, and Heracles grabs the apples back, and with one little yoink and some celestial physical comedy, he grabs the apples, takes them back, the labor is complete. Which gets us to labor 12, the final and perhaps most dramatic of the labors of Heracles, to capture Cerebrus, the last labor, but the riskiest. So Cerebrus, you remember from episode four, the ferocious three-headed dog kept by Hades to guard the underworld. Heracles gets help from Athena and Hermes to find the entrance to get in. And once he's in the underworld, because Heracles can be very charming, he's persuading the souls of the dead to convince Hades to give up Cerebrus voluntarily. And he does. And Hades actually says, all right, you can have the dog as long as you don't use any of any man's weapons on him, as long as you don't hurt him. So clearly Hades has not been reading the papers and following labors one through 11 because <laughs> a three-headed dog is nothing. Yeah. Comes in there, uses the lion skin as a shield, squeezes Cerebrus around the head, using those, again, those, those wrestling skills, and submits him, squeezes him until he submits. He then makes it out with the help of, of Hermes again. And in doing so, Heracles becomes the only being to make it in and out of the underworld alive. So he's got Cerebrus on the outside. And before he brings... Cerberus to the king and finishes his labors. He parades the dog through cities and amazes crowds who sing his praises. So there are people who show up, throw wreaths, play music, just to see this dreaded god of the underworld as right. his trophy. And he, he revels, does Heracles in the glory. So at long last, he delivers the dog to the king. His labors are complete. And whether, as accounts do differ, whether Her uh, Cerberus was set free or escaped or was carried back, he makes it back to the underworld. He's reunited with Hades okay. in the end. So after all this nice happy ending for everyone, yeah. even the, even the dog, you know, gets, gets what he needs in the end. So ultimately the 12 labors are fulfilled. I didn't check the clock. I think I got them in just under a minute apiece. <laughs> um, there are some adventures after the labors. Those are going to be the most famous one, but right. in very, in very short order, he does get married a few times, uh, takes a, a number of male lovers. Plutarch measures them as beyond counting. Probably the best of these is named Iphidus. The two of them really hit it off. Um, become really close, great friends. But Heracles ultimately, once again, is cast into madness by Hera. This kills his friend in this moment of madness and his lover, throwing him off the city wall. Now for this crime, surprisingly, he gets three years of servitude for Queen Omphile, during which his punishment is to wear women's clothing and do what is traditionally women's work around the house okay. for three years. So this was the kind of creative punishment that I had not right. thought of yeah. in those days. But... Heracles being a gem, went with it, did it. Um, and also surprisingly, and I, I wasn't expecting this in, in the first part of the segment, but Heracles even challenges Dionysus to a drinking contest. He has the goal <laughs> to go to the god of wine himself. Yeah. He loses that contest because of oh, okay. Dionysus. Um, All right. And as punishment, Heracles has to actually become a member of the Dionysian cult for a while. Which in the pantheon of punishments that, that this man has had is it, it sounds like a pretty good one. That's that's yeah. he's been through worse. Uh, very important footnote to the legend of Heracles. So I mentioned up front his strong reputation for sexual prowess. 
Um, in a later trip, he visits the palace of Thespius, the king of Thespi, who asks Heracles to kill the lion of Cethrion. Now, Heracles is pretty good at this by now, so he right. does. And as a reward, the king offers him the chance to have his way with all 50 of his daughters. But there's a catch, Heracles does. Okay. The offer is on the table for one night only. So Heracles, being, you know, being a gamer, takes him right. up on it, does so, is with all 50 of the daughters in the same night. All 50 become pregnant and bear sons. And many of those sons end up being the kings of ancient Greece. So okay. that performance becomes known in, in time as, right. wait for it, the 13th labor of Heracles. <laughs> so like, like the other 12, even under pressure, got the job done. So the big question I put out there up front is, you know, about eligibility. So is Heracles really a god? And there's actually disagreement about this. There are two traditions, right. you know, some who consider him a hero, other who do consider him a true god. And because he's thought of as a hero to many, there's a story of his death. He's, there's a, we don't have time to get into the details, but he's given a shirt containing the poisoned blood of the Lernaean Hydra from way back in the second labor he puts on the shirt and is inadvertently poisoned. So after all this drama and glory in this death story, he experiences essentially death by shirt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Essentially like a laundry mishap, um, but in a way understandable for a guy who really is not accustomed to wearing much clothing. So right. um, he is in this, in this story, he does die. He reaches his funeral pyre, his body burns, but only his immortal side is left. And he ascends to Olympus as he dies because he has been hypothesized as a result of competing, completing the 12 labors. So after accomplishing all of this, it's worth noting Hera had never forgives him for the crime of being the illegitimate son of her husband. Right. Um, so many historians, they'd still contain for, for centuries, he was mortal. They kept separate shrines for him. So there would be a shrine for him as a God next to one of him as a hero. And his view is almost like a, a real historical figure of legend, as opposed to a divine being. In my view, and tell me if you agree with this, after pulling off everything I've just described, I think he, he deserves eligibility for this podcast in this episode to be considered as a divine being. Right. I choose to accept the story of him being a god. Do you, do you join me in that acceptance? I do. I, I do. I, I, think, I think that makes the most sense in this, yeah. uh, in this uh, context uh, of those things being accomplished uh, you know, by a god and of him being rewarded by a god. That story is certainly strong enough out there that we can... I believe that we can yeah. take it in. I think you're right. So taking it all together, I mean, what do we make? What else can we say about this enthralling figure of Heracles, survivor of super fecundation, infant killer of snakes, right. murderer of music instructors, his own family <laughs> members, his own lovers, but of course, most importantly, achiever of all 12 labors, not to mention the exhausting but triumphant 13th labor as his encore. Um, it brings me back to that choice he was given in his youth from the figures of vice and virtue. Do you want a pleasant, easy life? but you want a severe but glorious life. And clearly Heracles opted for the latter. And I think we can all agree. Right. He definitely got what he signed up for. So <laughs> lots of drama, but yeah. lots of glory. And there is, uh, there is Heracles. Wow. Very good. Excellent. All right. Good. Well, uh, let's, let's go to the break again. I will uh, have a couple swigs of water to uh, wash out that uh, rapid fire session of the 12 <laughs> labors. And uh, we'll get to our categories shortly after this. All right. Here we go. And we're back. Time for our rounds. We have five rounds. And uh, 
to determine who's going to win the golden apple on the way to the final golden goat winner at the end of the season. So our first category is immortal combat, which mm-hmm. is, as it sounds, uh, physical confrontation between these two. And, you know, this is edge of your seat stuff. <laughs> this is, your <laughs> this seat is probably stuff. not going to be uh, the, the nail biter. Yeah. So we'll, yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll play it out. We have to, you know, yeah. play it out. But, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, it may, may, may not be as close to some of the other rounds. So, as I said, you know, Aristeus did participate in Dionysus' invasion of India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that uh, battle, he brings bows and arrows of a hunter, uh, the cudgel and dogs of a shepherd. He hurled stones at his enemies, crushing them, we are told, like fat olives. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good uh, simile there. Yeah, yeah that's, so. that's a good image. Uh, yeah. uh, and then there's a hint uh, in the Dionysica that he can control bees and and call bees but so i went down a rabbit hole and say like mm. can he actually you know call bees to attack but never never really shows up fully so i don't think we can count that but that, yeah, that's that, kind of a missed opportunity for, for the god of beekeeping that i was gonna say that would they would take beekeeping to a different level which would be yeah. impressive but if we can't prove that then yeah unfortunately we, we can't count that one he, you know he he does have some sneakiness mm. uh especially if you're a sleepy old man in a cave mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> can sleep up on you. no matter how many times you shape shift yeah, uh, he, he can clearly overpower an old man who's already been chained up. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, gets points for transformation. And as as for Entourage, I think, uh, you know, his mother would be very helpful in a fight, mm-hmm. and she might be just slightly better in this round. Um, but on the bad side, he did have to be rescued uh, once in that war by Apollo from uh, the flood of a, a river god. Mm-hmm. Um you know, never really beats any gods outside of Proteus. Um, you know, and and un- unlike uh, Heracles, he he's doesn't seek out battle. That's not, right. not his go-to move. Right. So. Yeah, I mean that, that that's knowing going in that he's the god of beekeeping. <laughs> even that's a more sort of holistic skill set that I would have expected on on the battle field. Yeah. Uh, you know, Heracles a lot of a lot of what we talked about speaks for itself. I think in terms of the superiority and skills strength you know weaponry in the sense that he didn't need to use a lot of weapons he was very versatile with something like a club or a sword right. or an arrow and found creative ways to use it in the moment uh so he's good at that uh the creative side of it relatively even temperament uh for most of the time when he's in the heat of battle when he needs to improvise figure out a skill you know obviously the 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 the, the temper that gets him into trouble just happens when he's off battle getting possessed by Hera and doing all these terrible things against it will. But in terms of the skills, that's all there. Uh, he's got, you know, not, not so much of an entourage because apart from the time he had his nephew help him out with the money headed Hydra uh, really did work alone for the most part. Right. Um, but is able to control animals. You know, animal husbandry is a very good skill of his. He finds yeah. ways to, of dominating and, and, and capturing them. Uh, we talked about his success in civil engineering um, he does have limits, so I do think you know you're correct that that, that he did look for more fights than his counterpart. Right. Um, but he was susceptible to you know powers, divine powers larger than his. So Hera, of course, being the best right. example, where um, you know even though he was this this physically very powerful demigod, um, when Hera is involved, it's still going to come down to the wire whether he can pull it off or not. Right. So. You know, if his opponent is able to come up with some sort of alliance with Hera, now we're talking. But if not yeah. for that, 
it's pretty well proven that Heracles can can hold his own in virtually any scenario and, and do right. pretty darn well. Right. And I even I remember uh, one of the stories I read in uh, in the War with the Giants. Uh, one of the depictions of that has has uh, Heracles in it, and he fights in it, and has a bow and arrow, and and goes and shoots each of the giants with an arrow after they've been taken out by another god. So mm. just just to make sure. Little extra insurance policy. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> just kind of goes around. So yeah, I, I think uh this one's not particularly close. I think this has to go to Heracles. I think if 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 he were able to get the, the B army summoned on command, it might be a different story. But <laughs> yeah I that... agree. I think Her- Heracles definitely takes this category. Right. All right. So then we have a first category two. Heracles. And then our next round is curriculum deity. And this round is uh, who would you rather be? Uh, who would you rather follow? Who has that it factor? Mm. And uh, you want to go first with Heracles? Yeah. So, so in terms of who I'd rather be now, we talked about the gymnasium being the happy place of Heracles. That does come from the Greek word gymnos, which means naked, because that was a place at the time. The male physique was very much honored, even celebrated. The men would train naked. They would rub their bodies with olive oil to shine them up as they went. And then afterward, they would clean off with a scraping tool known as a strigil to okay. scrape off the uh, the dirt and the excess olive oil. I have a certain affinity for this because even in modern times, I too prefer this method of exercise, uh, which explains why my local gym memberships always end <laughs> pretty quickly and unceremoniously uh, I'm now stuck with what can only be described as uh, Chicago's oiliest Peloton back at home. And certainly it's most uh, heavily used stigil. Um, but clearly he's got, you know, a lot of, a lot of factors you'd want to emulate the strength, the courage, the wits, the skill set we talked about from monster slang to stable cleaning, you know, all with great creativity. Yet at the same time, there's a lot, there's a, a bit to feel for in the story of Heracles. He does, of course, his namesake, <laughs> Hera, uh, who, who's named after her pride right. and glory, just never gives up on trolling him throughout his life, C- cast him into madness that, that gets in the way of him finding love time and again. So, you know, he does end up getting married, I think, four times. He's got a, a you know, huge array of lovers over that time. But every time he really finds something that appears to be getting serious, Hera finds a way to mess it up. So as much as there's, there's a mixed bag, a lot right. to be envious right. of, but also, you know, some 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 fallbacks. Um, in terms of following, you know, we, we we talked about the beginning. Heracles had a, had a pretty significant following both in the Greek and the Roman traditions. There were cities that were named Heraclea in his honor. Um, we talked about the two separate sanctuaries for one Heracles is a god, one is a hero. So in a way, kind of best of both worlds, whether you right. like your, your mortals or your immortals, he's kind of got a cadre for both. Had a pretty good festival, uh, the Heraclea, although it did commemorate the death of Heracles. Okay. So it sort of <laughs> caters more to the, the, the mortal camp. Right, right. Uh, but even then, as, as, a, as a hero's journey, it's still a glorious story and a great festival. Um, and some worshipped in a very particular way. So the Oiteans in coastal Greece worshipped him for helping them get rid of locusts. Okay. While the Erythae helped him or worshipped him for helping get rid of a type of wasp. So despite <laughs> everything we've talked about with civil engineering and animal husbandry, like he also had a pretty good side hustle as a, like an exterminator. So yeah, yeah. The list of skills just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So... Uh, lots of different ways to worship uh, right. a fellow like Heracles. Lots of flexibility, whether you like him, <laughs> mortal or immortal. Uh, so pretty good story in terms right. of, of following. So yeah, mixed bag, but, I, but, uh, but strong parts in there. I think that shows that even had the bees come into effect, that probably <laughs> probably wouldn't have been a game changer for that's Heracles. That's an excellent point. Yeah, that's right. So if you believe those two communities, that he could have gotten past that too. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, I get some, some interesting things on Aristea. So, you know, always pictured as a, as a man in his prime, hmm. uh, actually sometimes where he looked a lot like his father, Apollo was kind of mm-hmm. a young, young man. Um, you know, fair amount of travel, uh, spreading his useful arts. Um, he always has, he's always all the stories. He has some sort of entourage, uh, with him, uh, both in Chios and Sardinia, he was seen as a leader and sometimes called the king. So he had a couple, mm. didn't always last. He, he would eventually, I guess, give it up, move on. Um, he led men into battle uh, with the Dionassica. So uh, some some relationships there. Uh, he had a couple different families, um, one on, on uh, in Thebes and, and another one in Sardinia. And um, there was a, Thing with a, a mountain goddess named Orthia, which mm. I didn't get into. Um, but you know, he also had some tragedy uh, with uh, his son Actian, uh, which you know kind of ends his, his first marriage with Atenui. And then Atenui, um, by the way, later is, is driven mad by Dionysus and tears her, I believe it's her brother, apart mm. yeah. um, because he's not worshiping Dionysus. So, um, you know. So that's that's the life, and then on uh, the following, there's not as much here. So uh, obviously as uh, um, as Heracles, but uh, Her- Aristeus actually has very ancient roots uh, in his worship. So there's this group of people called the uh, Pelescians, who are uh, pre-Greek people, and it's believed mm-hmm. that Aristeus actually was originally a god of these pre-Greek people. And then when the Greeks came in, mm. uh, they sort of brought their gods and laid over them. But he survived in certain communities that had a strong uh, Pelasgian presence, okay. um, which is kind of interesting in that Thebes and Chios uh, being kind of the, the main ones. In Chios, there was a festival um, for him and a sacrifice reenacting that Sacrifice for the teasing winds and and at the mm-hmm. start of the summer. Yep. Um, and uh, you know a little bit on Sardinia around olive growing, but and in Thessaly, one last one was there's actually the, the sacred cave where he was thought to have hidden Dionysus. What uh, was was, uh, was uh, his? But you know, all that said, that doesn't add up to a whole lot. So on the on the worship side, you know, I definitely think that. There's there's more to go for with with Heracles. Yes. Um, on the life side, it, it's interesting because it does kind of come down to making that same choice. Exactly right. It is it is the very existential question of vice and virtue. What do, what do you want to? What kind of life do you want? Right. Yeah, that that is interesting. So, so the life of vice is 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 the the less adventurous, lazy one. That's <laughs> I believe that's that is true. Going. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think. I think um, Heracles is is definitely uh, more aspirational. What you would aspire to, um, you know, and so for that reason, and you know, maybe being on the the bubble on the the verse the vice virtue thing uh, with the worship pushing me over the edge, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Heracles. Yeah, I, I think I join you there. I, I agree clear winner and the worshiping side just in terms of options. Um, but it is a tighter battle than you'd think on, on the, on who you'd like to be. And because, you know, 
I think Heracles spent a lot of his time alone. He was in some really rough situations. Right. Uh, didn't so much find a home, was a bit of a wanderer throughout the earth and, and you know, didn't have the kind of connections that many people would hope for. But fitting his choice, he, right. he had a life that had yeah, I mean, great yeah, drama, the, but great glory. They both have have the tragedy. I think uh, the, the um, killing your own family is maybe a bit, a bit rough. So, that, yeah, I mean, and and he did pay a serious price for that, as we right, as we heard right. in, in gruesome detail. Just, just as, yeah, as a thing to go through, and uh, yeah, yes. that's maybe. So I, yeah, I don't think I'm going to change my mind. That piece there, so I'm I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Aristeus on this, to 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 be well, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. So I'm going to okay. go with Aristeus. It's the first time I think I've ever changed my mind, but I yeah, realized, it's, oh it's, yeah. You're that, the one that, who keeps the spreadsheet, so you, you yeah. have the time. You can do yeah. it. That's the that that trauma there. I think yeah. is kind of uh, pushing me out. So, I think yeah. that's reasonable because you don't want to live with that. At the same time, I do think he he did get the penance that he wanted. He he had the moral ability to say, "I'm not culpable of this because it was Hera who made right. me do it." So, right. yeah. That, All right. Well, I'll stick with Heracles. So we'll split yeah, on that. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And now we go to Good God. All right. So uh, I'll go first here, and a mixed bag with Aristeus, you know, kind of as always. Yes. Um, he's generally known as as a beneficial uh, deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's spreading his useful arts around, uh, teaching people how to keep bees and and uh, press press their olives. Oh. Uh, that something they couldn't figure out apparently. Um, he's a protector of, of flocks of sheep, protector of bees. Uh, he clears up that that plague in Kios. Um, and, and, uh, but then there's the Eurydice, uh, Eurydice thing. And, um, that's bad. No. That's not good. Not that's great. Not good. No. Um, he, he does suffer in some way for it though. It's, it's, it well, the bees suffer, um, uh, but that obviously causes him some, <laughs> some emotional trauma. <laughs> Clearly. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, he may have sheltered Dionysus. Uh, as a baby from Hera, which would have taken a little bit of courage because yeah, that can end more up, than a little. Yeah, that can end up quite badly for you. Yes, um, you know, uh, and then on Sardinia, he's spreading on the olive growing and pressing, but he also is something of a military campaign where he sort of he conquers the island. So that's right. Uh, that's maybe maybe a, a negative, or it's definitely a negative in his point. So you know, mixed bag. Yeah, mixed bag for Heracles as well. I think you know, obviously a lot of murdering. Uh, but Herod did make him do yeah. most of it. And depending where you fall on his music teacher, uh, I think he gets a bit of a potentially a pass on that one for just not knowing his own strength. Yeah. I do He's think minor. Yeah. Minor infraction, which he was, he was acquitted. So, yeah. you know, the justice yeah. is spoken. Um, I wait, I think still by the virtues. I think there's something about the patience that he demonstrates in, in going through the labors, even if it's years of servitude, he always takes his punishment. He has the patience to right his wrongs. He keeps going back and accepting those and even willingly going to the Oracle after his first family and just saying, how do I get past this? How can I be cleansed? So, you know, whether that is 10 years of, of rough, rough servitude, whether it is three years of house cleaning in, in, in wearing a little apron of some kind, um, he does what he needs to do. So I think ultimately the character is there. And I think there's also a good case to be made of, of all the work that he did with the children in, in getting, you know, working in the gymnasium, getting everybody, teaching them how to be a man, mm-hmm. shepherding them in the community. So I guess he did, now that I think about it, he had some community ties in, in, the, in the sense of when he was, there was a gym in every town right. and he was always hanging out there and meeting new people. So um, 
Yeah, I think uh, the strength, I'll, I'll give Heracles the edge here just because the strength of proactive character for when he had done wrong, uh, as opposed to, you know, complaining about your dead beast here <laughs> yeah. as one instance. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm going to go with, uh, with with Heracles also on this. I think that uh, you're right. He, he is proactively uh, doing things and, and, and accomplishing them and at, at great risk Yes. Uh, to himself. Uh, you know, even on on Kios, Aristeus sort of, you know, he does the divination and, uh, you know, he, that, but it was not, not that, not that impressive of a, yeah. of a, of a feat yeah. um, in res- wrestling an old, old man to find out how to get your bees. I mean, some pretty good detective work to figure yeah. out what happened. I'll give him that, but yeah. uh, not so much character. No, yeah, it's a. Uh, so that, that is definitely a, a win for Heracles. So it is now two wins for Heracles and one drawn, no wins for um, Aristeus. So that brings us to our iconography round. Yes. And uh, this is, is yours to start? Um, yes. So very strong traditional just existence beyond the Greco-Roman tradition through art alone, you see Heracles all over the place. He shows up in the Zoroastrians. He shows up as a protector of Buddha over here. He even makes his way nice. into the Egyptian cycle as a as an influence on the god Khonsu, who you may have noticed showed up in Marvel's Moon Knight recently. Okay, uh, so he had his fingers in a lot of other traditions, and and it, it's it's you know, as a vessel of heroism and strength. It's natural for all these other traditions to want to sort of make him their own, and as they did. Um, not as great of a name. I know you like to come back to first names, and I think Hercules <laughs> hasn't done as well. I, I did. I've met one or two over the years, um, but okay. very rare in this. I think probably your best your best uh, frequency there is going to be among the French with Elcu. I um, I can't even say Elcu, <laughs> uh, but yeah. that's a fairly kind of like Elcu Puro, the uh, the famous detective in the Agatha Christie's. That's right. the best example there. Um, you know, you're going to see the name pop up in the expected stuff: the military vessels, the missions, the operations. But in the movies, it's probably where you see the biggest the biggest influence. I mean, lots of films featuring Hercules over the years, animated, live action. What I didn't know is that in the 50s, late 50s and early 60s, big in Italy. So this makes sense, Scott, given the, you know, the, the early Roman embrace of, of Hercules. 19 films in the late 50s and early 60s that had, in their case, wow. Hercules in the title. Including after a while, some films that had nothing to do with our hero <laughs> himself. But they realized if you put the name Hercules in the title, it's going to get butts in the seat. So yeah. Very yeah, proud of 13 year old boys. So, kind of show that's up. right. That's right. So, pretty strong influence and pretty lasting, I would say, uh, in, in terms of culture. And still to this day, he, he shows up in, in a variety of, of side roles in kind of modern mythological projects. Right. Well, you know, given uh, how unwell known Aristides is, <laughs> uh, I don't know how, how, how well he's going to do here, but. Uh, you know, there, maybe there's some surprising number of things. Like, you know, when you really look into him, that it, it's uh, there under the surface. But uh, so there was an Aristeus class battle uh, ship for the U.S. Navy during World mm-hmm. War II, mm-hmm. and they uh, the this class repaired ships. Okay, so it's not, not that a seems battle. fitting, but, but yeah, yeah, fitting with his uh, supporting ship, role. Yeah, yeah, ship that repairs other ships. Um, you know, I didn't find any any cryptocurrency, which you really are. I don't know. Are you a Greek God? If you don't have a cryptocurrency these days, I mean, maybe there was one if we'd done this a week earlier, but, but, uh, but what I did <laughs> found was uh, there's the Aristeus group law firm. 
who specializes in blockchain law. Okay, well, that's, that's in the ballpark. Yeah. And, and they have a bird law division as well. Okay. Um, so I say bird law. <laughs> that's that's a, 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 a it's always sunny in uh, Philadelphia. Oh. Joke. Okay, okay. <laughs> it goes back a ways for me. That was that was deep in there. Okay, yeah, that was a deep cut. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right, we can take that one out. Um, you know, um, there was a gun, but I'm not going to dwell on that uh, given given what's kind of been going on. So, um, there is an Aristeus head amp, and this is an headphone amplifier. Mm. That retails at four thousand dollars. Wow! So it's like, uh, and it is an. And that's upgrade. not even the headphones. It's the amplifier for the headphones. Yeah, and it is wow. an upgrade on the Orpheus head amp line. <laughs> I mean, I see it being an upgrade because I believe Orpheus was still immortal. So th- therefore, yeah. he's outranked here. But boy, you got to sell a lot of cheese and honey to, <laughs> to, to four thousand bucks for an amplifier. Right. Yeah. Some some of the the really extra virgin olive oil. <laughs> that's um, right. So there is a, uh, of course, some Honeymead out there named for him. Uh, favorite yeah. one that I found is uh, Rock Me Aristeus. Nice. <laughs> Honeymead if, out of. If that didn't exist, then we would have to invent it because yeah. that's just too good. Yeah. Honeymead out of New Jersey. Um, nice. he, he has a an asteroid, small asteroid. Right. Uh, yeah. Which, which is nice. Um, there's the Honey, I'm sorry, the Aristeus Project, uh, which is a cooperative between scientists from Australia and the U.S. in response to the ongoing uh, global honeybee crisis. So yes, which is uh, a real thing. Yeah, which is a real thing, and and yep. that was uh, work. They said the work is inspired by the myth of Aristeus, Greek god who brought bees back to life with the carcass of a bull, and they are looking for an immortal honeybee cell line. That's mm-hmm. what they're trying to do, uh, which is a little beyond me, but I'm I'm sure I'm sure they're doing a good job. I wish them well. Yeah, so I don't know if you've heard of the movie or the book, uh, Secret Life of Bees. Yes. And that that apparently has an allegorical connection with Aristeus. Fitting. Um, there is, so there weren't, you know, say 20 movies in, in uh, the 50s, but there was, uh, according to IMDb, Aristeus, the 2018 short animated film. Okay, so not nothing. Uh, it, which is about a... Uh, Sheep that is struck by lightning and given superpowers. Okay. <laughs> named Aristeus. All right. Um, and then I think that, and then the last one I have is apparently Jason uh, Statham is set to star in a movie called The Beekeeper. There we go. And and it, uh, I don't really know if Aristeus is in it, but they do describe the film in, in their promotional material as an action thriller steeped in the mythology of beekeeping. Okay, <laughs> so, sign me up. I mean, if anything, if anybody can pull it off, it's the uh, it's the grizzled, taciturn Mister Statham. Yeah. So there you go. So you know, I I don't think that's as, as much as I as able to kind of dig up there. I don't I don't think that quite uh, quite measures up to Hercules Heracles. Uh, I agree. Uh, you know, and, and and the name search surprisingly was was, was very very little. Well, I was, I was, you did pretty fruitful. You had got a pretty fruitful result for for limited uh, possibility. So, All right. well done. But I think I think Heracles does win this round. Yes. So, we we are in agreement on yes. that and that uh, iconography. So we are now uh, three wins for Heracles, one draw, and um, 
Moving on to our fifth and final round, which is Matinee Idol. Yes. And I will go first on that one. So, you know, naturally this whole time, I've just been thinking this has to be a musical, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, another, you know, rural deity, the life of a rural deity uh, set to music. And of course it is tentatively titled Rock Me Aristeus. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, again, just I'm, a no I'm picking brainer. that up. I got to take that. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we pick up the story just after he's come to Thebes and he's starting to make a name for himself, wooing uh, Atinui. And uh, then the under sort of sub story of, of the whole thing is that rivalry slash friendship between Aristeus and Dionysus. Mm -hmm. Sort of a Salieri and Mozart oh, there you vibe go. or a Hamilton Burr yep. vibe. So that kind of yep. thing, of course, we're following the Salieri Burr <laughs> character <laughs> in this. Um, yes. But, you know, we got a, got that title song, uh, and then maybe we have a taste test battle with a couple songs, one by Aristeus, I Mead, You Wine, <laughs> and a Dionysus song, <laughs> Who, Who's the Mad One Now? Um, you know, and a, a kind of a ballad tragedy between Atenui and Aristeus, my dear, dear son, Actian. And, oh, uh, I, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's it's yeah. You have to spell it. Out of that. that translates to the audio part of the, yeah, but that's, that's right, it takes a minute, yeah. And then, um, you know, a couple others, uh, maybe a group number on Kios. Uh, again, the, the heat is getting serious. And uh, <laughs> song for Proteus, uh, Proteus don't change for me. Yeah. You know. Uh, of course, I'm thinking uh, if we can get him, get uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda to, to yes. write the songs and music. Uh, maybe Leslie Odom Jr. as uh, Aristeus, who played I, Burr. I'm already the, buying, looking for tickets. I'm there. And, and Burr in the original. Yes. And then I would say uh, Davi Diggs mm. as Dionysus, kind of some yeah. of that same energy he brought uh, to Absolutely. the Jefferson character. So love it. So that, that's what I have on him. That's enchanting. I mean, as we learned, you can make a really great musical out of uh, less than familiar subject matter. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like where you're going with that. Well, you know, I started with casting on this one. And, and I mean, because you need the right actor for a role like Heracles. And, you know, on the physical side, you need a performer who's capable of you know, carrying a really buff physique, loves being scantily clad, enjoys spending time at the gym, oiling himself up and what have you. But also the kind of performer who can really sell having a voracious sexual appetite that will occasionally break up families. Uh, so clearly Arnold Schwarzenegger is, is the, <laughs> the, the clear choice for the role, fits the bill. And in fact, in the old days, he actually did a Hercules movie way back in 1970. It was his acting debut. In fact, it was the fantasy comedy film called Hercules in New York. <laughs> Pretty forgettable. Now, this is, this is all true. So I right. haven't gotten to my vision yet, but uh, this is true. It was filmed on location in New York in 1970. There's a Lariat Chariot race with no permits, you know, shot like <laughs> French Connection style. Um, a lightweight affair, budget of about 300 grand. So, you know, but, 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 but Arnold being ambitious, you know, he, his agent mentioned during the audition that he has years of stage experience not mentioning that is the bodybuilding stages he was competing on. So I'd never acted before. Uh, had such an, a thick Austrian accent back in, in his early youth that they had to dub all his lines with a different voice actor. So as an acting debut, pretty forgettable. But if there's one thing we know about Schwarzenegger, he's got tremendous ambition. 
his acting, his business ventures, and of course, for a time serving as the governor of my former home state of California. And that I promise will be the last I try. <laughs> uh, but with that kind of ambition, you know, I could see Arnold wanting another shot at the role, uh, you know, 50 plus years later to get it right. <laughs> something that could really land this time. So I'm, I'm picturing a sequel to that. So Hercules in New York translates to the sequel Hercules in Santa Monica. So fast forward present day, 50 years later, Hercules is still Hercules, but he's essentially lived the same kind of life as the actor who's playing him. He's his physique is aged, his hair is gray, but he's had adventures, learned a great deal. He's accomplished a lot, even became a, a, a leader for a time. <laughs> um, and yet his family has fallen apart um, because of his appetites. So uh, he's also hasn't achieved the one goal that's always eluded him, and that is being elected president of the United States. Ever since Hercules 50 years ago landed in New York, he's always wanted to, to rule the roost. So Andrew, as you and I both know, the U.S. Constitution restricts eligibility to that office to natural born citizens. And since Hercules was born in, in this case, Greece, right. uh, he can't do it. But he remembers that back in July of 2003, Senator Orrin Hatch proposed something called the Equal Opportunity to Govern Amendment, which would allow anyone who had been a U.S. citizen for 20 years to be eligible for the presidency. Do you remember this? I do not. This did happen. Uh, now, that amendment was, was, was crafted. It was sent to the Judiciary Committee. No action was taken. But Hercules in Santa Monica, in his sort of faux retirement, has not forgotten. He still pines for the ultimate goal. He's an establishment kind of centrist Republican. His fellow Republicans are also very much on board because he remains popular. And frankly, they could use a new candidate who's not like the last guy. Yeah. So Hercules decides he's going to do everything he can to get that amendment passed. And it's just going to take a little more lobbying. So knowing that it takes 38 of the 50 states to ratify any amendment to the Constitution, Hercules hits the road. And he says, I'm going to perform a labor in each state of the union to show my worthiness and get this amendment passed. So over the course of our series, he's slaying a giant razorback boar in Arkansas. He's killing great whites in Hawaii. Perhaps he's capturing and removing the last remaining liberals from Mitch McConnell's Kentucky. But whatever is asked of him to do, he will do in the interest of winning the state over on his side. And even though his strength is not what it used to be, every week, every episode, he gets the job done, gets every state on his side. Ultimately, the amendment is ratified through his success. And he runs for president, wins in a landslide. And it ends the show on inauguration day at the steps of the Capitol, where now President Hercules, after his, after his swearing in, announces a major surprise to the country that he now leads in an unforeseen twist. He admits that during his labors all across the country, as a reward for his success, he persuaded every leading Republican in each state to let him sleep with either their daughter or granddaughter of his choice if he, if he accomplished that feat. And because he did, being Hercules, he also impregnated all 50 along the way. So he announces that in this moment, he's now established that's in, a new that's dynasty. In speech. That's it's all, it's a... all the address. He's, <laughs> he's established a new dynasty. He now will have a 50-state lock on power for generations to come through his offspring, thanks to what will soon be known as his 51st labor. All right. There is Hercules, Hercules in Santa Monica, right. the 50-51-part 50, series. Oh, okay. So that is, that is uh, uh, yeah, that makes sense. That that you need would be to have an episode series. for each yeah. state. So it would, it would, yeah, it would take a okay. while. Okay. Right. Yeah. That is interesting. Uh, it's, it's too bad you can't have Orrin Hatch as himself. No. <laughs> I mean, you know, CGI that, that would make something right. That, that would put it, put it really over the top. <laughs> <laughs> Orrin Hatch as himself. Yes. Um, yeah. Interesting. Uh, you know, that is an interesting place that you took it because, you know, I had been thinking that there's, of course, have been many, uh, 
Heracles, Hercules movies. Yes. Um, and uh, a lot of them have kind of formulaic feeling. Um, <laughs> not that formula. <laughs> not that one. That's not what we were, not what I was expecting. So that's interesting. So yeah, uh, that, that's a, it's a hard one to judge. It is. Um, so I think, I think I'm going to, I think, I think we, we both strayed a little bit away from, from the foundational mess here. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to stick with, with uh, Aristeus on this yes. one. Um, I, I think I will join you. I think you, uh, you hewed a little closer in a genre type treatment, but you a little closer to the, to the truth of the story. I uh, took it in some bizarre extra constitutional <laughs> directions, but in the name of entertainment, which is always, yes, always yes. worth doing. Always, it's part of the show for sure. Yes. Well, I guess so, that brings us to our conclusion. So that does. So give so us the have, totals. Yes. So Heracles three, uh, to one with one draw. With one so draw. Heracles is the clear winner. Not quite uh, the largest win we've had, but but among them. So uh, outstanding. That is outstanding. So he will join our group. Uh, what we believe now will be twelve uh, members for the, going for the final yes. Golden Goat uh, Award and in. in Ways that we are working out as as we speak. Blueprints is coming together, yes, and we will we will land the plane in some fashion. <laughs> it's it's well, going to happen. Right? Best, it may have a dramatic practices. kind of two part finale. There's, there's all sorts of things being banded about, but it will be right. it will be entertaining, and you listener will not want to miss it. For sure, for well, sure. Well, that was an, another excellent series. It so. was, uh, you know, not exactly a uh, you know it was it was not a tight matchup on paper, but I think great entertainment value on both sides and and a worthy discussion at the end. So wonderful. Well, a good reminder to everybody. Uh, of course, you know where to find us if you're listening to this. You found us already, but please pass it on. Please tell your friends who are uh, who are up for material like this. Our right. thanks to Andy Snow at AndySnow.dj for our rambunctious and lovely theme music. Like subscribe to five stars tell your friends see us on twitter all that the social account has been really cracking me up lately so definitely keep an eye on that one a lot yeah. of good good side content there uh and of course every every episode we add two new songs to the official god versus god playlist on spotify so don't forget right. to get on that and see what's added this week can't wait to see myself <laughs> all right thanks well, for always joining. a pleasure yeah thanks for listening folks thank you andrew and we'll catch you next time on episode nine God versus God. Till then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.